0: If you have your Bible, look with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter number one. Mark's Gospel, chapter one. We're in the middle of a series called Discovering the Real Jesus. And uh, earlier this spring, we passed out the Gospel of Mark all throughout our city and uh, ask you to be reading the Gospel of Mark along with us. And uh, it's a, an action-filled gospel. And it is a gospel written by John Mark, he is uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, influenced by Simon Peter, writing under the inspiration of God, telling us the good news and the story, the gospel concerning Jesus Christ, who Mark says in chapter 1, verse 1, is the Son of God. And so what a, what a, what a declaration that he is the Son of God. Now today, I want you to look with me to a text that's found in verse 21 of chapter 1. And then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever Immediately they told him about her, and he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening, at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And in Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 19, this is at the end of the story about the, the demoniac in the garrisons, with multiple demons in him. And after they're cast out. And he did not permit him. He said, go home to your friends and tell him how much the Lord has done for you, and how He has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marvelled. Amen. Today, as we just look at discovering the real Jesus, we want to look at Jesus' authority over demons, Jesus' authority over disease and Jesus' authority to restore your life. And so we're going to look at that together today. Those are the three main fill-in-the-blanks for those of you that are fill-in-the-blank kind of people. And so we think about, first of all, his authority. Jesus demonstrates his authority. The statement is a a bodacious thing, isn't it? It's an audacious statement. It's It's a... unbelievable statement. He is the Son of God. What an outlandish statement. What a shocking assertion. Jesus is the not just a Son of God the Son of God. You see, Jesus is no milk-toast, run-of-the-mill rabbi teacher. The world that we live in tried to portray Jesus as just a moral teacher, a do-gooder. He did, do good. He did good deeds. He was loving. He accepted all behaviors, never demanding, somewhat naive, non-confrontational, passive moralist. That's Jesus. But Josh McDowell clearly said that can't be the case because Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord because he claimed that he was the Son of God. He claimed, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Neither he's lying or he's nuts, a lunatic. Or he's the Lord. He is the Son of God. This was declared by the words. Not only Jesus' words, it was declared by Mark's words, John the Baptist's words, the demon's words, the prophet's words, the centurion's words, the disciples' words. But Mark goes on to say, not only do his words declare that he's the Son of God, but his works declare that he's the Son of God. And they are a testimony to that He is the Son of God. First of all, you see in His works the authority over demons, evil spirits. Jesus has authority. Listen closely, my friends. Jesus has authority to set us free from that that holds us captive. Amen? From evil thoughts, from destructive patterns, from sinful behavior, from generational scripts, from demonic forces, from mental illness, from psychological confusion, Jesus Christ can set you free. He has the power to do so. Look in this passage of Scripture. He's in the synagogue, and he's teaching as one who has an authority, not like the scribes. He's not quoting rabbi so-and-so and... And, and, but instead, he's teaching the truth. You've heard it say, but I say to you, he is teaching with authority. He's explaining the law and putting it in context and how to live it out in your life. He's preaching the good news of hope and the kingdom and the coming and the establishment of God's rule and reign. He is teaching with authority. But not only is he teaching, he's demonstrating that indeed he has authority on earth to forgive sins. By the way that he heals people. And notice immediately in the synagogue, there is a man with an unclean spirit, a demon. And he says, what do you have to do with us? Plural, multiple demons. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. I know that you're the one in authority. Listen, the demons have to obey Jesus because my friends, they're subject to him. He's the author of creation, and they are subject to him. And so he rebukes them, says, "Come out," and they convulsed and cried out with a loud voice and came out. And they're amazed, and they said, "What is this? It's a new teaching with power, with authority that he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Question today. Are demons real? In this culture, we like to believe that demons aren't real. We want to believe in angels, we just don't want to believe in demons. That doesn't work out so well, does it? Are demons real? Well, let me ask you this question. Is there evil present among us? This week in the news, Samuel Little, who's a prisoner, 78 years old, he's admitted to being one of the worst, most heinous serial killers this country's ever known. He's imprisoned for the murder of four women but he has confessed to 90 plus more murders over four decades in multiple states. And DNA evidence has now linked him to 34 murders. And he claims that he's murdered 90. He raped, strangled, beat them to death, and dumped them to be found later. What kind? of soulless, evil. But he does have a soul. He was made and created in the image of God. Yet why would such a person do such heinous things because of evil present within him? Evil leading him to do the unthinkable. This is all around us. All we have to think about is yesterday's headlines in Virginia Beach, right? Dwayne Craddock, 40 years old, an engineer for the city for 15 years, of Virginia Beach, Virginia, a longtime city employee. He, he kills 12 or 13. He, he, he wounds others. They're in the hospital. These are the people that he worked with. One gentleman, a co-worker said, I was in the men's room with him, and, and when we were in the men's room, he said... I said, any plans for the weekend? He said, no, not really. He said, okay, well, you have a good day. He said, you too, have a good day. And moments later, he walks out of the men's room and begins to kill his coworkers. What would possess you? Senseless evil. You should never forget what happened in Sandy Hook, in Newtown, Connecticut, 2012. Twenty-six people shot and killed in a school. Listen, set aside all the politicization about this. Folks, the issue is not a gun. The issue is evil within us. It's evil. And we know the father of that evil. 26 were killed. 20 victims between 6 and 7 years old murdered. Don't tell me there's not evil in this world. And here are these evil spirits possessing people. And what do they do? Destroy lives, destroy themselves, and destroy others. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's his MO. Are demons real? In the preface to his famous book, Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis said, there are two equal and opposite errors." and to which our race can fall about devils. One, disbelieve existence. And two, the existence to believe, yet to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Dr. Richard Gallagher, who's a famous and renowned psychiatrist, Ivy League graduate, has well-written and documented studies about different psychosis and diseases, and as a medical doctor has treated them. But he's often called in to counsel about those that are seemingly possessed with devils. And he says, clearly, clearly as a man of science, these, this is more than just a disease. There are real evil within them and devils. They do things, and know things, and say things, that only a devil would know. What is a demon? They're fallen angels. They're, the Bible tells us they're part of Satan's panoply of former angelic beings that rebelled against God satan himself is an accuser before god he accuses man to god and he accuses god to man he is against us he is a liar and a thief he was created to praise god but rebelled against god he is the serpent of old in genesis 3 In 2 corinthians 11 he's an angel of light in revelation 12 he's the dragon In 1 Peter 5, he's a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He is a liar and a thief and a murderer. That's who he is. In the book of Jude, in chapter number, and the only chapter, in verse number 6, and the angels who did not stay with their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, has been kept, in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the day, until the judgment of that great day. Someone said, well, it can't be demons because they're all chained up. Well, if they're on a chain, they're on a long chain. That's all I got to say. It's present among us. We should not take it lightly. Amen. Amen. In Ephesians chapter number 6, listen to what Paul says. You'll have to look this up the old-fashioned way. You have your Bible. You can write it down. I put them in the, text for, in the notes for you. In Ephesians chapter number 6, listen in verse number 10, Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. We're in a warfare. But Jesus has authority over evil and evil spirits. Now, the question is, can they possess you? Well, Let me say this clearly. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then the Spirit of Christ has come to live in you. Amen. And Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Greater is he that's in you than he is in the world. Amen. God's Spirit lives in you. So the evil one cannot possess you, but certainly he can oppress you. And come against your mind, tempt you with temptations, accuse you, accuse your standing, accuse your identity, accuse God to you, accuse your brothers to you, accuse yourself to you. He can distract you, hinder you. Paul says we were hindered by Satan. He can hinder you, but not possess you. And Christ has victory over him. Amen? How do we see this today? We see it in these mass murders and addictive behaviors and destructive patterns in our life We see it in psychological disorders and obsessive behaviors and compulsion to do evil. There is evil in this world. I'm not saying that you can't ever go to a counselor or a psychologist. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that there's not physical disorders that need to be treated. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that we try to diagnose everything and sometimes the diagnosis Is that there's an evil that's involved with us. But in Christ Jesus, we have victory. That's the good news. Jesus has authority. He's given us authority. He's brought in a new kingdom. He has overthrown demons. And that's why these gospels are filled with accounts of Jesus setting these captives free. It's a new authority. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and that life abundant. Isn't that good? There's a new sheriff in town. And it's King Jesus. That's why Jesus could say in Matthew twenty-eight, You go therefore and make He says before he says that all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. You go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Jesus has humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But God hath highly exalted him and given him a name, an authority above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and tongue confess Jesus is Lord. Every knee, every knee should bow and tongue confess in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. He is Lord. He's authority. Amen. Mm-hmm. That's why we sang a praise song this morning referencing Jim Martin Luther today, right? And in that great hymn, he writes these words. Although this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fail him. Yeah, what's that word? It's Jesus. Amen, amen. He has authority. He also has authority over disease. Got to hurry. He has authority over disease. Look with me in this passage of Scripture. Notice how he, he, he heals in verse number 29 of Mark chapter 1. It, um, he says he entered the house of Simon and Andrew and James and John. Now verse 30, and Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. This is Simon Peter. So obviously Peter's married. He has a mother-in-law. Mull that over in your mind for a moment. She has a fever. They told her about him. He took her by the hand, he lifted her up, and the fever left. And She began to serve him. In the book of Exodus, chapter 15, concerning who the Lord is, and in one of the expositions of the name, I am Yahweh, or Jehovah, is I am the Lord your healer. He says, I won't put on you the diseases I put on the Egyptians. I am Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals you. In Malachi chapter 4, verse number 2, but you who fear my name, listen, the son of righteousness will appear with healing. In his wings, he's a God that heals us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you have been healed. Amen. Isaiah, he's quoting. He heals us spiritually. He cleanses us from all of our sins. But in Matthew's gospel, chapter number 8, in Matthew's gospel, he references this. If you just look with me you know, over a few pages. and Listen how Matthew quotes the same passage. In verse number 14, and he says, That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. He cast out the Spirit with a word and healed all who were sick. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Amen. When John's disciples came to Jesus, they said to him, John wants to know, are you the one or should we look for another? And Jesus said, you go tell John what you see and what you hear. The blind receive the sight, the lame are walking, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor has the good news preached to them. Amen. Christ came to heal and to save. Christ has authority to heal. Amen? Would you say amen with me? Tell your neighbor he can heal you. He can. He can heal you. He made you, and he can heal you. Christ, secondly, Christ bore our sins on the cross. He paid for the consequences of our sin. He died the death that we deserve, and now we have life through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on, uh, and the authority to forgive sins, He says, take up your pallet and go home. Listen, which, which is easier to do? To heal a man or to forgive a man of sins? Only God could do either one. Jesus said, so you know that I have the, right, the authority to forgive. I'll do this miracle and show you that I am God in the flesh. We'll talk about that next week. Second thing is, Understand, not everyone is healed here. Amen? We're not all here healed here. Sometimes he gives us favor, and we are healed here temporarily. Yet we all die. Because this is not the land of the living, this is the land of the dying. We are going to the land of the living, hallelujah. Where there will never be any more death. In this world we live in sin and suffering and brokenness and hardship and evil. But Someday, oh someday we'll know the full healing of our Lord. Someday, Revelation 21 says there no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain ever again. Those things are passed away. Amen? Amen. Countless times I've been beside some of you, as a loved one died, and we prayed, we asked God to heal. Sometimes he did, and sometimes he's extended days. Sometimes he showed amazing favor. Sometimes it's boggled physicians' minds of how God has answered prayer. Sometimes they've gone on. But God didn't forget them. I'm telling you, the last breath here is the first breath there. Woo! And it's glorious, filled with healing in our life. Amen. Folks, understand this. God is sovereign. Tell your neighbor, God is sovereign. He not only is sovereign, tell your neighbor this, God is good. Tell your neighbor this, he never makes a mistake. You see, God is good and he's right, and God's for us, and God is worth with us, and he's trustworthy. Next thing is understand that God's grace is sufficient. He will give you the grace to deal with whatever the sickness is in your life. First Corinthians chapter 12, I think I have the scripture. Uh, I don't know if I have the scripture on the board. I don't think I, I do. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, or 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 7. Look with me. Paul is suffering. He said, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing graceness of the revelations. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times. I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said, listen, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. Listen, the life of Jesus is manifest in your life, either in your living or in your dying. Should Christians pray then, Pastor, for the sick? Absolutely, yes, we should pray for the sick. Look with me in your Bible to the book of James. Book of James, chapter number 5. you have your Bible, look with me, or you can look at the Scripture later. If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. Verse 13, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Listen. Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray over him. Anointed him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and it's working. God's people should stand and not feel ashamed to ask Almighty God to heal people. And to save them. Amen. Amen. He holds it in our hands. Finally today, he has the authority to restore life. That man that was filled with devils in chapter number 5, the demoniac. Those devils are cast out of him and go into the swine or drowned into the sea. And this man is now sitting in his right mind, fully clothed, and the people of the town come out and see him, and they can't believe it. And Jesus, he said to Jesus, I want to go with you. And he said, no, you stay here. And you tell everyone as a testimony what the Lord has done for you. And you know what he said? He went everywhere within the Ten Cities region, the Decapolis area, and he told them what Jesus had done for him. He equates Jesus with Lord the Lord had changed his life. He took a man that was captive and made him free. And that's what the Lord can do for you. Listen to me. He can set you free to live life like you've never lived it before. Amen. Number two, he can teach you to learn. This man sat at Jesus' feet. He was absorbing and learning. And you can learn about the things of God and learn about righteous living and learn about the laws God meant it and learn about God's grace and learn. He can change you, transform you. And he frees you to love. Because life's not about you anymore. It's about the king and his great kingdom. Amen? That's what God can do for you. He can set you free from any devil or demon. And he can set you free and heal you inside and out. Heal your mind. Heal the darkness that comes against your thoughts very soul, the very accusation that you're nothing, and the Spirit of God can set you free that you are a child of God. That's the authority of my Savior and my King. Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. It's powerful and true and life-changing. Father, I thank you that Jesus is no ordinary man, no ordinary teacher, but he is, as he demonstrated and as he declared, the Son of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, as we sing this last song, if God is speaking to you and you want to pray, then please come in one of our um, ministers would love to pray with you today. If you recently took my Discovering Church membership class, I would like to introduce you to the church. If you would come forward in this last song as well, I'd like to introduce you to the congregation this morning. So won't you come? Come now. Let's stand together.